Mac Power Users, episode 280, El Capitan. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. I have a little beef with you. Is it El Capitan? El yeah, Capitan? that's it. You know, you didn't sell it. El Capitan. Well, El Capitan. How does Spock say it? I, I'm, I'm going to have to put the clip in the show notes because I'm I'm thinking he's got to be right. Spock, who's that? That's some guy in Star oh, Trek, dear. right? Now you you does he were have asking, the Force or not? I you forget. were you were he's a Jedi, right? Just trolling me now. He's actually a Star Trek Jedi. I think he is. He probably is. Of all the people, yeah. he he is the yeah. original. Um, but you know, you were trolling me because in the show notes you said, "Has Katie ever heard of El Cap before?" And do do Californians really call it El Cap? We call it El Cap. It's a point of pride. I don't know. I mean, I, I love Yosemite versus one of my very favorite places in the world. I'm I'm just amazed that I can be there in five hours and everybody else in the world has to get on a plane or a boat or something. But the um, it's just if you've never been there, it's gorgeous. Every time I'm in San Francisco for like Macworld or WWDC and I, I meet people from out of town, they say, well, I got a couple extra days. I'm like, get your butt over to Yosemite. It's just amazing. Any time of year. Especially though, like in the March to May after the snow melts, but before it gets too hot, oh man, it's it's gorgeous. But El Cap is, I think, a point of pride for Californians. So yeah, and you know, I did just that. The last MacWorld, which I guess would have been two years ago, now we came a couple of days early uh, and took the trip. It was it was a couple hours outside of San Francisco, but we we took the trip over to Yosemite. Um, and yes, I have heard of it before then. I've actually been to Yosemite, but of course, David, don't you know that Captain Kirk fell off of El Capitan while he was free climbing it and Spock had to go save him with his anti-gravity boots. I had a, a recollection of that, but you had to tell me what movie, because I forgot what, I knew it was in a movie. It wasn't a very good one. I, I, was, I was thinking it was in the Generations movie, the one with Captain Picard, with my captain in it. Yeah. But it was, you told me, no, it's actually the, the really bad fifth movie that I it, only saw once. It was in The Final Frontier, which, again, it, it has the curse of being the one of the odd ones. And I think if you had to rank them, it's it's definitely towards the bottom. It's it, it's probably not the bottom, but it's probably towards the bottom. I, I was channel surfing and came across that movie where it starts out with uh, Commander Data uncovering a hidden... Um, uh, like science station that's that's monitoring this village. I forget which movie it was. Also, an odd one. Oh, man, that was a bad movie. I and I like the Next Generation, but boy, that felt like a bad movie to me. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. What were we talking about? Because <laughs> we could, well, actually do. You, do you want to talk about all of the odd movies? Because we could rank them in order from. I bet you have an order. Do you have like a text expander or? I a, do um, have an order. Would you like to know my a, a order of, of Star Trek movies from favorite to least favorite? I, we could run through that uh, okay, let's <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Give me and, the worst one. What's the worst one? Uh, the wor- the worst one. I don't know. the The worst one is probably one, the motion okay. picture. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Although it grows on me the more that I watch it. Um, but then this comes in a close second. My favorite one is where um, Picard. Second, has his... second for worst. By the way, when I say worst, my favorite is the one where Picard. Uh, Goes back to you know the the discovery of warp drive and has oh, to deal first with first contact yeah that's that's definitely ranks up there but, like, and 
Yeah. Yeah, He has his like white whale moment with the Borg. That's a good movie. That's probably my third favorite one. I waver back and forth as to whether The Voyage Home or The Wrath of Khan is my favorite because it depends on what you're in the mood for. I mean, The Voyage Home is just such a light, fun Star Trek movie. It's, you know, it's also set in San Francisco. Um, It's just a much light, it's kind of a palate cleansing, you know, lighthearted movie. Um, But then The Wrath of Khan, man, I mean, that's just some great cinema there. One of my favorite bands at the time is on The Voyage Home. Uh, the Yellow Jackets at the time, you know. Um, so anyway, was he if, the it, one who got nerve pinched? No, the Yellow Jackets. It's a band. It's yeah. a um, it's a band. They did some of the music for the whales. But oh, okay. So so for the few of you that are left, um, <laughs> so this this was probably their favorite part of the show. <laughs> the, um, uh, we have a show uh, planned here on El Capitan. We did a couple weeks ago iOS nine, and uh, now we're going to talk about the new operating system for the Mac. But before we do that, we do have a dedicated feedback show every month. But there's there's some hot breaking news that I thought is so particularly relevant to our audience. I thought I, we should take a few minutes. As we record this, Microsoft has announced that they do indeed now have a standalone version of Microsoft Office for Mac, uh, Office 2016. That's the new version. Um, you can buy it for $150, and that's called, I think, the Student and Home Edition. Mm-hmm. And it gets one license for one machine. So it really is Student or Home Edition. Yeah, one <laughs> like machine. If, if you've got a laptop and an iMac, you got to yeah. buy two. Right. And um, there's no support for the iOS. You know, so if you know the iOS versions, you need to be a subs- subscriber to Office 365. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, you can still view documents on iOS. You could always do that. You just can't edit documents on iOS. Yeah, but clearly uh, Microsoft is aiming at the software as a service model. They want everybody paying a a subscription fee every month. Um, So, uh, and we're going to talk about this at greater length in the live show. I I have no regrets about signing up for a subscription based on what I saw today. Uh, I know you were waiting. Do you know yet? Are you going to think about it? Well, right right now I'm kind of in a, a grace period because I think I mentioned on the last show that I, I have a free subscription through my university. So that's at least get me get me through the next year. Um, okay. So I, I can at least delay that decision. I, I like the, the iOS app. The break-even point comes at about 22 months if you um, – but it depends on your use because they're not, they're not on equal footing. They're not equal products. So what's the value of, of having access to edit on the iOS app? We'll see. But I definitely think for someone in, in your position where you're having to buy multiple licenses, they, they've got, they don't call it a family pack. I think they, do they call it a professional pack? I don't, I don't remember. But so there's a, a $7.99 version that's for an individual for Office 365. And then there's a $9.99 version or $6.99 version and a $9.99 version. But then you get five licenses. So, I mean, that's that's really like a small family pack. Yeah. It's a much so, better deal. Um, I think if you want to use the iOS app to edit, or if you have more than one Mac, you're probably not going to be going uh, this route. Right. Um, okay. Well, anyway, we'll talk about that more in the live show, but the, it's out there. We'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested. Um, but let's talk about El Capitan. And um, uh, this is a snow leopard and um, what it was mountain lion slash snow leopard slash El Capitan moment. You know, they had a big <laughs> update last year. This year, they're not getting as aggressive, which is kind of like what we talked about iOS 9. Um, but they are coming out with some updates, and instead of giving it a new location, they gave it a location within the last location. Yeah, that makes sense. And honestly, I'm happy to see Apple do this. We've been saying for a while that they've they've really been ramping things up, and perhaps they've been moving a little too fast. Although this is not a .5 release, it kind of feels like a .5 release. And I'm okay with that. I'm happy to see Apple take more of a TikTok measure with 
with their iOS and their OS releases. We kind of saw that a little bit with iOS 9 too. Um, we saw a lot of you know total overhaul with iOS 7. We saw a lot of foundation building features in iOS 8. And iOS 9, we saw a lot of refinement. So this was a little bit of a slowdown year for that as well. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the concern I've always had, and we, we talked about this at some length in a recent show. I wish I remembered which one, but you know, it's the, it's the amount of time to develop new features. You know, we've got the, the calendar saying you release a new version, then you've got a couple months of fixing bugs in that as soon as it comes out. And then you've got two or three months to develop whatever it is new and sexy that's going to be in the next version and get the rough implementation of that done. Then you hit WWDC and then you've got, you know, two or three months to polish that before it gets released. It doesn't give them a lot of new time to put in new features. No, you're looking at about three months. And I think Don Melton was talking about this on, is it, is it debug? Yeah. I don't remember which episode, if I could find it, I'll put it in the show notes, but for now I'll just put a link to debug in the show notes. But he was talking about how that development cycle works and how it's so hard because you really only have a few months to work on true new features for the new thing because you spend part of the cycle bug fixing the old thing, working on new features for the new thing, and then refining the new thing. So in my, in my little mind, what would be perfect is if they would look at these, these off year updates as a chance to put in some stuff that's been on their list for a while. And we're going to go through the list here. And a lot of the stuff is nice improvements, but they also have some other like bigger ideas that take more than three months to implement and let those things go on like a 12 month cycle. So, um, you know, like ideally they're, they're already deep in motion on something major for next year's version. If that, does that make sense? Anti-grav boots, I think, is what they're working on for the next version. That would be great. If they yeah. do, I will take you to um, to El Cap, and we'll just walk up together. <laughs> you don't walk up with anti-grav now, did, boots. Did, did he walk? I don't. Did, was he like walking like vertically up up the uh, up El Cap? No, he just he just it it was kind of like the Rocketeer, except he had him on his feet instead of on his back. He just whoop. I'll, I'll put I'll put I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you only can, he had the force, he wouldn't so you need can, those boots. So you can watch, so you can watch the clip. Jedi cannot fly, but Spock can. But but if he had the force, I'm just saying he could have saved the captain. He did bothering with rocket boots. Jealous. Okay, let's talk about El Capitan. There's there's some some nice uh, big features. I think we'll start with the user experience stuff and um and go from there. Yeah, I will tell you, I love, love, love the new San Francisco font. And I don't have any retina displays other than on my iOS devices. And that's obviously not what we're talking about today. I would imagine it looks even better on retina displays. You would imagine correctly. It, it looks great. It's it's just clean. It's refined. I, I'm feeling like I'm not squinting quite as much to see it. Um, the the letters are, are, you know, it's just, it's. I feel like it's a lot uh, a lot less fatiguing on the eyes to read, if that makes sense. I'd like to see like a story written about the development of the San Francisco font. I mean, clearly um, it's a font that was designed to be used on a screen. Like it, when you go into pages, San Francisco is not available as a font uh, to apply a typeface to. Like if you're writing a, a contract or something, you can't print it out in San Francisco. And I, I know there's, there's workarounds for that, but as you know, Johnny, I've intended it. San Francisco is a font exclusively for display on a screen. And, and more particularly, I think it's, it's a font that was designed for display on a retina screen. That very well. Yeah. I, I'm sure it looks even better on a retina screen. 
yeah, I, I think it looks a little off when I look at it on a, um, like on my daughter's MacBook Air. But I, at the same time, I, I just, I'm so spoiled by those high, high resolution screens now that everything looks a little off to me when I look at those screens. But yeah, San Francisco looks amazing and it's a unified font across the system. It's interesting. Uh, was it last year that they made this big move to Helvetica New? Noi? Helvetica Noi? Noi. Anyway, they made a move after many years to a new font and just a year later, they're moving again. But I suspect this one is going to be a long time commitment. They're going to stay with San Francisco for a while. It's even on the keyboards now, like on my new MacBook, the, the, the font on the keys on the keyboard are the San Francisco font. Hmm. Cool. Um, and, and there's rumor, did you see that rumor that they're going to have a new like wireless laptop keyboard that's going to be light up keys? Yeah. I think that's pretty much confirmed at this point, isn't it? Well, it's not out yet, but well, no, I guess it's confirmed that'll, when it's that'll out, be but, nice. That'll yeah. be nice. And I bet it has a San Francisco on the keys. Um, Another thing that Apple made a big deal about this during the initial announcement, which to me seemed kind of weird. In fact, when they made a big deal about that, I said, okay, so this is not going to be a real feature heavy version because they're spending, you know, minutes talking about the fact that if you shake the mouse on the screen, the cursor gets bigger. Do you lose the cursor on your screen? Um, no, I don't think I do. I guess I do, but I've just subconsciously, I just move it. And then I, I know where it's at at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's not a huge problem for me. Either. Yeah. It is kind of fun, though. You know, jiggling, I'm doing it right now. It's kind of making me happy. Man, it can get really big. Anyway, um, so if you have trouble with that, just jiggle the mouse or j- jiggle your finger on your trackpad, and it gets bigger. Um, there's no new um, gestures, you know, no more new trackpad gestures. A year or two ago, that was the big thing. I think that that is kind of, I think they're kind of done with that now. I don't think there's going to be a lot more. How many more can there be? I mean, it, I, I think I think trackpad gestures is a little bit more of a power user feature because you really have to go in and you have to learn about them. I mean, you go into the system preferences and you go into trackpad and there's that little that cute little tutorial video that tells you about them. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you only have so many fingers on the trackpad. And I know for true power users, they use you know something like better touch tool. But how many more can there be? Oh, there's there can be a ton more. I I'm going to do a post. Oh, okay, on this. for for normal people. But you know, this is the Mac Power Users podcast, you know. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. I, I mean, meant not normal it, people. First of all, it's not that much work to learn the existing gestures, and they're hugely um, helpful. Like if you're on a laptop, um, you know, you've got limited screen real estate, especially if you're on one of the smaller laptops. And, you know, having more than one window on the screen is actually quite difficult. And maybe it's just a 47 year old speaking, but um, I find it, you know, it, it's hard to read if you have a lot on the screen. I, I prefer full screen or at least near full screen apps when I'm on the laptop. But then you've got the problem of jumping between all these screens. But if you just take four fingers and swipe up on your trackpad, you're going to get a little view that shows you each of the screens. In fact, we're going to talk in a minute how that got better with the new version of El Capitan. Um, but but that that little gesture on the laptop, just four finger swipe up. If you're not doing it, I want you to stop right now and just play with it a little bit. Because once you internalize that, it will completely change your game in terms of being more productive on a laptop screen. And I, I do it, frankly, on my 27-inch iMac, too. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot you can do with gestures. Uh, the ones that are built in, I think, are the beginning. 
maybe I don't think there's a whole show in this, but the better touch tool is, is quite remarkable because it, it just gives you so much more power. Like one of the things I do with my trackpad is I'll have um, fingers three, four and five, you know, my middle finger to my pinky resting on the trackpad and I'll tap with the index finger and better touch tool recognizes that as a distinct type of tap. And when I do that, I can get a um, jump to full screen or not, you know, go back to have a keyboard. It just types a keyboard combination. in when I do that, because you can customize it all, but yeah, I would have liked to seen that grow um, with the built and stuff, but you know, getting back to my original point, I, I think they're done with that now. Yeah. Okay. I went off on a little tangent, um, but, but you can use your gestures now in more places. Yes. So throughout the operating system, they've adopted a few more gestures in more places, or at least in certain apps, they've adopted gestures in more places. And I think Apple's really, you know, I think there's also rumors that we may see an updated version of the Mighty Mouse as well. Or wait, no, Magic Mouse, not the Mighty Mouse. The oh, Magic I haven't Mouse. heard that. Yeah. Have, so, so what is the rumor? Where, where have you been reading your rumors from? I don't know. I've been I've been sick, and you know, I, I think it's I think it's chasing basic. girls. Yeah, basically going to be the same, except not a battery inside that it will it will charge through a like a US. Um, well, I don't know if it'll be a, a mini. I was going to say a micro USB charger, but knowing Apple, it will be a Lightning charger. Um, oh, really? But it will it, it won't have um, it will have a built in battery as opposed to you having to constantly swap out batteries. Is it going to have that um that, I, that I think sleek it's otherwise shape, or is it going to get a little more ergonomic? No, I think it's otherwise going to be very similar. Yeah, But I, I think you're starting to see Apple adopt the idea that the trackpad is now more of the default input device rather than a mouse. Yeah, it is uh, for me. It is for me. I it's, tried. Not, it's not for me. I, I actually find, I find, and I don't really like the, the magic mouse that much, but so I still have a much larger mouse just because I find it much more ergonomical. But I, I, I still find that I much prefer to use a mouse rather than a trackpad for, for long sessions. I find it much more comfortable, ergonomically speaking. I tried uh, Mike uh, Hurley has been yakking about this uh, MX Master from Logitech. Yeah, I want that mouse. You could have sent it to me. I, I returned it. I, I tried it for a couple of weeks and I just didn't find it was because of all the magic tricks I do with a trackpad. I, I missed it too much and I don't, I'm not going to be able to do the track trackpad left-handed. Everything is kind of like programmed in my right hand at this point. So I ended up giving up on it and just going back to the trackpad. Yeah. I've got that mouse on my wish list. I think that would be the best wor both worlds for somebody for me. Best of both worlds. You know, that's a, a reference, right? Yeah. That's a, isn't that a um, Star Trek thing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, with Lakuta Borg um, and all that. That's a Wrath of Khan. Um, oh dear. Kobayashi Maru. Right. <laughs> No, no, that was even. Is your that guy. the one with the green lady that he kisses? I'm moving on, but I think it could be the best of both worlds because you could have, um, you know, multiple buttons programmed to do multiple gestures, but still have the ergonomics of a mouse. Yeah, the thing that mouse that Mike recommended is nuts. It's got it's got two different wheels on it. I mean, there's one under your thumb and one under your index finger. It's you got to get yourself one, Katie. Just That's go crazy one day and buy yourself a new mouse. Yeah, I give you permission. Yeah. Well, you're you're about to totally fluster me with your um with your nonsensical geek culture references. So I'm think maybe we better take a break at this point and talk about our first sponsor, and maybe I'll be better when we come back. Okay. You want to go and have a drink? I think I need to. <laughs> okay. You know, I I'd like to talk about uh this is a longtime sponsor of the show. Um, um, it's Pixelmator, and Pixelmator is the premier 
application to push pixels around to make images on your iPad and your Mac. And then now they're on the iPhone as well. Uh, Pixelmator is an application that really came into my life at the right point because I'd always heard about, you know, these fancy applications that cost $700 and can make your pictures look beautiful. But I never really wanted to bother with learning how to do them or spending the money to do them. And frankly, I don't really want to pay a subscription fee because I like photography, but it's not my day job. So I don't feel like I should have to spend crazy amounts of money to make pictures look nice. So Pixelmator solves that problem for you. Um, you buy these applications one time for you know a price. You get it from the App Store for either your iPad and, and iPhone or for the Mac. And that's it. There's no subscription fee. And it's a really powerful editor. And it's de designed around all those great tools that Apple gives us. For instance, it uses... Um, the graphics chip and the CPU to do its edit. So it's much faster than some of its competitors. And it's just really powerful. You can create, edit, and enhance your images. If you go to pixelmator.com slash tutorial, they've got these beautiful, uh, very professionally recorded tutorials that show you how to do any specific features you may want to do. Like if you've got maybe a family reunion coming up or you just got some great pictures of your new baby and you want to make them look amazing, you go spend a few minutes watching a tutorial, then you can just use Pixelmator to do whatever features you want. They've got templates built in. They can correct wrinkles, repair scratches, remove zits. Whatever your problem is with your picture, they'll take care of it. And you can even combine the tools and effects for an endless number of ways to refine the images. Um, it can open and save images to many different formats, PSD, JPEG, PNG, PDF, and many other popular formats. And it supports iCloud. It's just a really Mac and iOS friendly solution uh, to edit and work with pictures on your Mac and your iOS devices. They've won several awards from Apple. Uh, I know that the Pixelmator for iPad, I believe, won Best of App Store in 2014, just last year. And now they're on the iPhone as well. I was just using it the other day. And um, it's just a, a gorgeous, fun to use little application made by really smart people. So go check it out. Let them know you heard about it from us. And trust me, you can really solve your picture editing problems on a budget with Pixelmator. They're going to look gorgeous and you'll save a bunch of money too. So thanks Pixelmator for supporting the show. So let's talk about Safari. Oh, Safari. no, I'm sorry. Not Safari. I, I was going to say Spotlight, but... Yeah. Because yeah. we got... We I got think a, I still... I think I flummoxed you, really. You did. You did. I meant Spotlight. It, and is I, it Kobayashi yeah. Marie... Marie, it's the Kobayashi, it's the Kobayashi Maru. Okay. But, but Spotlight got a lot smarter with so many different things, including natural language search. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I can, you can say, th and you've been able to do this on iOS, and and we saw this um, on iOS as well, where you can you can type in things, and I guess on the Mac you're typing as opposed to saying, at least for now, maybe that will be in the next version of the OS. Um, what what's the weather on Friday? Or show me documents that I worked on last month and it will pull those up so this is my theory it's it's like the stealth implementation of siri on the mac it seems like the the natural first step before they do bring siri to the mac yeah and and you could like they still have built-in dictation on the mac you may not know this but if you double tap your function key little microphone shows up on the screen you can start talking and it'll it'll transcribe your dictation there's a setting that will actually even even download the dictionary locally to your mac so it's much more efficient and um 
So you could open up Spotlight, you know, command, was it command space for the built-in implementation, then double tap the function key and say, what's the weather tomorrow? And then it'll display that information. It won't talk to you. Um, I feel like, you know, there's there's a, a good and a bad thing about this. It, it is getting more natural language-y. It's, it's learning what you're saying more. Um, but you still need to learn to speak its language. Like I was playing with it and prep for the show. And one of the things I said, you know, one of the things is documents. You could say documents I worked on yesterday, which can be really convenient when you sit down in the morning and you say, well, I want to go back to that contract that's buried somewhere on the network. Just type doc documents I worked on yesterday and it shows up right there in spotlight. You can tap on it and resume, but you have to use that exact um, that exact, um, con or that those exact words, you can't like, if I said today's documents, it will show me documents I worked on today. If I say this morning's documents, it won't show me documents I worked on today. It goes and right. does another query. So, um, you have to kind of learn its language and its syntax. If you don't, if you don't use it, it doesn't work. Weather's the same way, like weather tomorrow will work, but you know, is it going to rain tomorrow? Isn't going to work. So it's, um, or at least it wasn't as far as the last beta. Um, well, and so, that's something certainly that can get more intelligent, and it may not even require a software update to do that. I'm not sure if that's happening on your Mac or if it's happening up in the cloud. Yeah. Um, one of the things that came out of WWDC, uh, talking to some of my developer friends, is that there's a third-party API for Siri, uh, for Spotlight to see, I'm calling it Siri now, yeah. for Spotlight to look into document stores for individual applications which would allow you to kind of integrate some of those types of searches into Spotlight. I haven't seen any implementation of it as we're recording this. The thing hasn't even gone public yet. So I expect in the next six months, we may see some interesting growth there as well. Well, um, and I think it's going to be one of those things. You're not going to be able to see implementation of it because developers aren't going to be able to release those apps that implement it until LCAP 10 is, is released. I mean, we saw that with, um, with iOS 9, that the day iOS 9 was released, the developers were able to release all of their apps that had Spotlight support on iOS 9, but, but yeah. could not before. It just seems to me the real hallelujah moment here is when you activate dictation on your Mac, like, let's hope this is, you know, iOS 10.12 or something, and and it's Siri, instead of being not only just being able to dictate text, say, you know, what's the weather tomorrow or even not have to tap anything Just say, you know, computer. Hello, that's a computer. reference. Yeah, that's a reference. If you don't know, Katie, yeah, it's yeah. a Star Trek thing. Um, but you say, you say, Hey, computer. And what's my, all of a sudden it starts buzzing at you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you get that? Sorry. Uh, yeah, we got that. <laughs> like my whole room lit up. I thought yeah. I had everything muted. Sorry. There you go. Um, anyway, so you say, you'd be able to say hello computer and you know, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow. And then you'd get a nice visual interface and a voice over your speaker telling you what the weather's going to be tomorrow. It seems like such an easy commercial and such an something that, you know, most normal users would probably try. Yeah. Uh, Can I, I just understand. say that if we ever have the ability, we used to be able to do that with the, with the little um, virtual assistant back in the iOS nine days. Yeah. But if we ever have the ability to talk to our computers, a la Siri, I'm and and you can com program it. I'm totally going to program mine to respond to computer, which I realize is completely not efficient because of the number of times people say the word computer, it would accidentally trigger. But yeah, how can you not? If I could get my computer to talk to me, I would want it to have the Hal Nine Thousand voice and constantly call me Dave. <laughs> 
Dave, I cannot do that. <laughs> but the um, either way, that's not there. It, it seems like it's a step towards it. I'm I'm just a little confused as to why they haven't gone that extra step. I'm sure there's people in Apple scrambling like heck to to pull that off because it seems to me like such a natural next step. But it's not there yet. So um, so we made it. We made a um. We made a little step that direction this year, but you have to type in the words, you know, documents I worked on yesterday, typing that out isn't as convenient as show me the documents I worked on yesterday. I mean, that's right. what we want. Right. And, um, and hopefully we'll get there, but not yet. Um, yeah. And, and Spotlight also now knows about more things than it did. We, we got weather, we've got sports, we've got stocks. So you can ask it intelligent questions about those types of things as well. But even that isn't as good yet as it should be. You know, it's once again, you need to understand how the computer wants you to talk to it. It's the not, language, right. Yeah, it's like I tried to get the score of the Dodger game and, you know, prepping for this, um, the show. And I, I, I sat there for five minutes typing in, did the Dodgers win? Dodger score, Dodger whatever. And every time I did it, I'd get an email that someone sent me offering me Dodger tickets, but I never got the actual score of the game. Hmm. So I don't know. I, I think that could get better. And, um, and you know, with non-power users, they're not going to give it any time of day. If it they're doesn't just going to the say it time. doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Boom. It's broken. Okay. Um, window management. Uh, this, this, um, you know, every version of iOS seems like it gets a little bit of love with window management, but this one, um, feels to me like it, uh, it got more than usual. I feel that too. I mean, one of the big things you were talking about is that, that swipe that you can do, uh, on the trackpad, one of the swipes you can do on the trackpad will get you into mission control. And now you can do a lot more when you're in that mission control view now. Yeah. So that's four fingers up. Just swipe up and there it is. Right. Um, you can you can take individual apps. You can kind of throw them up into Mission Control to start, you know, opening new windows with those new apps. I was kind of surprised that you couldn't do that before. For some reason, I, I always thought you could, but I guess maybe you couldn't. Well, the way it worked before is you would click on an individual space and then you could drag, drag the window the app up. onto a space. It wasn't as intuitive as it is now. Right. I've got a whole rant on this. Do you want, you want me to just go, go light it. it up? Yeah. Okay. So, so one of the things they did is they added the split view and, um, yeah, I they, call it, they're yeah. doing that in a lot of places. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, windows, I believe it was windows seven that first got this where you would drag mm -hmm. a window to either side of the screen and then it would fill up half the screen. Um, and on the Mac, there's a million little utilities that do this. I'm not going to like Moom is the one I use M O O M, right. but I don't know if they were the first at it, but I like the way they implemented it. But you know, there's probably 20 different utilities in the Mac app store that, that have that feature. So now Apple has added it, but I feel like uh, I'm not sure that they did it right. Um, there's good parts and bad parts. One of the things I like about it is once you get it set up, you can slide the center bar. So, for instance, if you've got, like, I often have ByWord open where I write text down, and I may have a big browser window or something else on the left side of the screen. I don't need ByWord to take up half the screen. It's just a recipient of my words. Uh, so I can just take the center bar and drag it to the right and then, you know, adjust it, kind of like they did with iOS 9. Um, it's definitely better than what they had before for, you know, splitting the screen, which was nothing, <laughs> but, um, um, well, it was just, you, you took your best guess. You drug, yeah, you exactly. manually you drug it out, drug which, it out a long time, said, yeah. which is why all these guys made money on these utilities. 
Um, Katie had mentioned earlier that mission control just by dragging up, that is a definite improvement. So if you've got a window, it doesn't have to be on a split screen window, just any window, and you drag it up to the top of the screen, mission control opens up and you can drag that window onto whatever screen you want it on, including an existing split screen. And that that is the, the gem of this whole discussion. If you're going to do this, you should have a split screen open at all times. And then you can, to, to put a new window into the split screen, you drag it up into mission control and drop it wherever you want. You can put it on either side of the screen from mission control, which is clever. Um, the bad thing is I had to tell you that because activation is tedious. It's not easy. Um, are you running, um, have you run LCAP on your machine? Well, you've had yes. a lot of machine issues. So, Well, I've been running LCAP on my secondary machine. Yeah. I, I feel bad calling it LCAP. I feel like we're going to get a lot of angry people talking to us about that. But okay. you're the California. You're, you're, El Capitan. You're, you're, oh, Californians. You're, I think you're saying I, I will, it's okay. I will speak on behalf of my people. I will accept LCAP. Okay. Uh, but the, um, yes, the, I've been I've been running it on my uh, my Mac Mini, which, as you know, um, has actually been my primary Mac here at home for a little while with some of the issues I've been having with my ear. So, uh, okay. yeah, I've been running it quite a bit. So on Windows, to, uh, to get the split screen, you grab the screen and you pull it to the left side or the right side of the screen, and it... Um, it it takes half of the whatever half you drag it to, and the problem with that on on OS ten is that we have these spaces, and dragging it to the side is actually going to drag the window to the next space over. So they they didn't have that available to them. Um, some of the third party app developers have come up with solutions where you drag it to the upper corner or to the top of the screen. Um, Moom has a nice feature where they have a little layover. So if you tap once on the green button, it gives you a little layover, and you get to select where you want it. And um, uh, and Apple didn't use any of these. And the way they do it is you go to the green button on your window and you tap and hold it there for a second. And that's the trick. Don't move. Just tap and hold it for a second because I was getting inconsistent results. I, some of them I just could not get to go into the split screen. And I was thinking it was a beta thing until I realized, no, I just wasn't holding it long enough. And then, uh, which always makes me nuts, by the way, whenever I have to do something on a computer and wait, um, I feel like it's inefficient. And, but that's that's the method you have here. And then you drag it to whichever side of the screen you want, and then it's officially a half screen. But that's not enough. <laughs> Once you do it, um, it, it, then it shows you everything else that's open on that current desktop. And you have to pick one for the second app, you know, for the split screen. So you're going to have, you can't have like desktop on one half and app on the other. It's always two apps, which, what if you don't want to make one of those big? You don't have a choice. And if you don't click a second screen, then it just defaults to take the existing screen you have to full screen, which if you're on a 27 inch iMac makes you want to like throw things through the window. And, and then there's like, a, there's also another little button there when you, when you have one in half screen that says no available windows. Cause if you don't have a separate window open in that space, then it hangs up there too. So it's just, the whole thing feels to me like, and I'm not an expert at this stuff, and I don't necessarily have the solution as I'm sitting here, but I think it could have been done better. You have, I can see no opinions on this matter whatsoever, clearly. Well, what, what do you think? I mean, was it hard for you it, to figure out? Yeah, I thought it was not nearly as intuitive as it should be. And the other thing that still frustrates me is why can't it not do a better job of actually remembering the window positions, please? I mean, come on. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things it does when it goes to the split screen is it removes that top title bar from your window. So, like, you know, the the red, 
yellow right. green buttons. You yeah, don't you got to move back up to see it. Yeah, you move and see it, and, and that's like I, probably probably all our listeners know this, but if you didn't, if you've got a wind a document you're working on that needs to be saved, and there's a little the red. A circle has a little dot inside of it, then it hasn't been saved. And that's a good reminder. Like Microsoft Word documents is a place where you want to hit that button. When I don't have that present, I'm less likely to remember I need to save something. So I'm not sure I like that, but I could I could deal with that. It just feels to me that the activation of it, you know, setting it up needs to be easier than it is. And um, now to compare this with um, with Moom, which is the, the one I've been using for, for years now, is... Quite often, like on my my Mac in particular, I I work in split screen all day. I have maybe seven or eight different applications open on one desktop, and all I do, and some of them are left. You know, usually I have like content generating stuff on the right, like word processors, you know, um, Scrivener, ByWord, all the stuff I'm going to be working in on the right, and and content viewers on the left. So I'll have like Safari and, you know, things like that on the left side. That's kind of my general rule in my head. And they're all um, either a left side or a right side, you know, set up app through Moom. And then all I do is go four fingers up with um, the trackpad. And then I've got my eyes closed as I'm doing this. <laughs> and then I just take the mouse and I tap on or the, the trackpad and I tap on whatever app I want to see, whether it's OmniFocus or Safari or Word or whatever. And all day I'm jumping through having different apps displayed on the left and the right side of the screen. And it's very fast for me. And this new system doesn't work that way. Yeah. So are you still primarily using Moom and just not using split screen view in the US? Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to make it work because I want to I want to write about it at some point. And I also just kind of want to maybe I'm not getting it right. You know, maybe they've got some other vision. Like one of the things I was looking at, well, maybe if I had different spaces, because these are very good for a single space. Like if you want to have Safari open, like let's say for a lawyer, I've got Westlaw open in Safari on one side of the screen and a word processor or a Scrivener open on the right side of the screen. Uh, just give that a space and leave it there. That would work fine. I, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm missing because it feels to me like it's a little harder and maybe I'm just doing it wrong. Yeah, I, I share your feelings and I, I guess I don't have strong feelings on it because I just gave up. I, I just stopped using it after a while. I didn't find it particularly intuitive, so I just went back to my default way of and I do this a lot of sometimes with the new features in the operating system. If I don't find them particularly intuitive or helpful, I just, you know, forget about them and stop using them. And I this well, is kind of one of those. Yeah, well they've got a different way about this. And and um the other thing is I really only use this on the iMac on the laptop. I always just go full screen because the screen's already pretty small. Um, okay, so here's so now I've been critical. Here's something right. that I'm I'm really happy about is find my friends in the widget. So <laughs> the now, widgets aren't dead. Yeah, well, you know, if you slide from the right side, I guess they call it the today view, you know, or notifications. But yeah. now find my friends has a widget right in there, and if you you've got a family and they're all on find my friends, it's it's just super awesome to be able to sit there and like. Like I'm going to have lunch with my wife today and she's not home yet. I can just slide it over and say, oh, she's still at church or whatever. And, um, and very nice. Yeah. Once again, I, I, my never ending quest for Mrs. Weasley's clock. There was a link to one. Did you see it? Yeah. Somebody sent me, cause I talked about it briefly on the, um, clockwise podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was saying for the Apple TV, I wanted Mrs. Weasley's clock on my TV, which would just show me a map with where everybody's at. And, um, somebody sent me some, some guys at a university built a clock and, um, they even open sourced it. 
and I haven't gone that deep down that rabbit hole because I don't have time, but maybe someday I will. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so find my friends, slide over, install it. You're good. In fact, extensions and widgets just got even better this year on the Mac. Yeah, we got a few a few new share extensions as well. Um, notably, um, more extensions and reminders. And notes, because notes got a big upgrade. So now you've got extensions to add things and or share extensions to add things into notes. That's good to see that they're not abandoning that, those platforms. Yeah, Apple's going to be putting notes extensions anywhere they can jam them in. And then abandon them just about a year from now later. I don't think so. I don't think they'll abandon it. I just don't think they're going to put a lot more effort into it once it's kind of launched and working. You want to, uh, you want to take a minute to talk about our next sponsor? Yeah, let's talk about our next sponsor. And those are the folks over at Automatic. And we've talked a little bit about Automatic, and I want to make sure that people understand what Automatic is. So most of us have vehicles. And if you have a car, particularly a car in the United States that was made since 1996, and that's probably most of us, I happen to have a 97 Toyota, um, you've got one of these diagnostic ports in your car. Generally, it's over on the driver's side, kind of down um, by the door, you know, over by your foot. And this diagnostic port is one that your mechanic uses, and they plug their devices in, and it gives them all kinds of information. But now you can buy a device that you can plug into that diagnostic port too, and get all kinds of additional features. So you can basically basically turn your dumb car into a smart car. And there are all kinds of things that you can do with this little automatic app once you pair it with your iPhone. So you plug the automatic car adapter into this diagnostic port. You download their free companion device on your iPhone or your Android phone. And then you pair them together, and the app will walk you through that pairing process the first time that you download it. Um, and then you can start using Automatic. So, for example, you can start logging your trips and being aware of your parking location so you never lo- lose your car. Um, Automatic can uh, let people know if you've been in a, a crash, and you can pre-program it to call for help for free. And um, if you've been in a crash, it can detect that with the accelerometer, and someone can even stay on the line with you until help arrives, and it can notify a certain group of people um, that you've been in an accident and, and where your location was. Uh, It can also help you improve your driving by giving you real-time feedback on things like, are you accelerating maybe a little too quickly? Are you braking too quickly? Um, And give you feedback on how that's going to impact impact your your gas mileage. Um, And one of the things that I'm really using Automatic for recently um, is it can help you flag trips as business or personal. And so there's this whole app ecosystem that's starting to be built around Automatic. Uh, they've even got a companion i uh, iWatch, or sorry, did I just say iWatch? Oh my goodness. Yeah, um, just so you know, it's called Apple Watch. Yeah, I know. Uh, they've got this companion Apple Watch <laughs> app um, for the Automatic that you can have Automatic uh prompt you if you want um, at the end of the trip and say, hey, was this a business trip or not? Um, And you can ping this this as a business trip and Automatic can keep track of all those. You can even use If This Then That or other tools to have it automatically create a spreadsheet. And I've been, um, you know, since I've gotten this new gig, that's become a lot more important for me to keep track of my mileage, keep track of which trips are business related, which trips are education related um, versus which trips are personal, um, because that all now becomes a lot more important when it comes time for me to do my taxes at the end of the year. So you may be wondering, you know, what does this cost? You know, what's the subscription fee and things like that? Um, Well, the beauty of it is, it doesn't cost you anything except a one-time purchase of the device. There's there's no subscription fee, nothing that you have to worry about. So um, once you go ahead and buy the automatic device, you're done. So you can pick it up for $99, but we can do even better than that. If you follow the link in the show notes or use the coupon code MACPOWER, uh, you can save $20 off the purchase of your automatic. They'll ship it to you uh, free in two business days. Um, 
And if you have any problems with it, you can return it. No problem, no questions asked, um, but you won't. You're going to like it a lot. So go check them out over at automatic.com. Use the link in the show notes to save 20 bucks. And thanks to Automatic for their support of the show. I feel like such a boss when I get out of my car and it says, hey, you just did a trip. Is this for work? And I, I just tap a button on my Apple Watch and then it gets saved to um, my, you know, my tax file. It's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Mail got, every year Mail gets some updates, but I thought Mail got some interesting updates this year. Um, one of them is add addition of gestures to it. Well, yeah, you like the gestures because you've got that fancy trackpad. I don't get to use these. I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't use them very often. I, I spent some time with them in prep for today's show, but I haven't used them much through the beta period. Yeah. I mean, I, I, on the, on a Mac, I have keyboard shortcuts, so that solves that problem for me. I am, um, you know, when I go through mail, I use the arrow key and, you know, control command a to archive. And then I've got, you know, other things I can do across the top menu bar. So over the years, I've kind of generated a thing where my fingers do things on the keyboard and my mail gets managed. Um, but if you're uh, um, a trackpad person and you just like click through your, your mail, this could be very convenient. So the way it works is, is you've got the existing message highlighted. So it highlights in the second pane of the mail app and just slide across on the trackpad. And if you slide from right to left, it will trash the mail. So it's a good way to get rid of all that junk. And if you, sw- if you um, swipe from left to right, it will mark it as unread. So that means if you if you work on an unread system, like you want them to see the things unread, you want to read them again, which I think is a little nutty. I don't do that, but the um, but there is a setting you can go in, and it's under the preferences. It actually took me a little bit of sleuthing to find it, but it's in the preferences for mail, and you can change that slide behavior to go from mark as unread to archive. So I can now, if I want to, with my trackpad, I could just tap down through the mail messages, swipe left to delete it, swipe, swipe right to archive it. And that's a good way to make your initial run through your mail. Yeah. Um, I, I do wish that they had more options on the iOS devices. You can do more than just archive or mark as unread with a swipe right and a swipe left. There's even more options. And so uh, they didn't go as deep with this as they did on iOS. I would expect that's something that maybe um, they just wanted to introduce us to it. And next year it gets a little more fancy. Yeah. Uh, one of the big changes, and I think you might have strong feelings about this one as well. I, I know that I do. Uh, is there are now tabs in mail? And do you know that I'm excited because I wrote yes in all caps in the outline? I, I noticed. I thought that might be an indication that, that you were excited. And I try not to go crazy with tabs in mail because I try not to. You know, I, I try not to have that many things open in mail at once, but, but sometimes you've got a couple of things going on. Well, not only that, I mean, so Apple has, how long have we had full screen apps? Has it been three iterations of the operating system it's now? It's been a while. Yeah. I think it goes back to Lion, but I'm not certain, but either way, especially on a laptop, there's a good reason for those full screen apps. I'm on a 12 inch screen. I want as much, many of those pixels devoted to my mail app as possible. But for years, when you were composing a message, it was modal. And, you know, this is sometimes Apple does things that make me nuts. And this is one of them, because what do you do when you're writing an email and you're responding to somebody and you may want to go check something? I mean, how often does that happen? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I just want to go back. Yeah. and, And you can't do that. Up until now with it. Now you can minimize the compose email and go back to it. You know, with the, with the existence of tabs and the ability to make it more modular, not so modal where you're stuck doing one thing in the application, 
the application itself gets much more useful. I, I think it's long overdue, but I'm really glad it's here, so I'm not going to complain. And and that is something that will immediately up your game if you're using Apple Mail, especially in full screen. Yeah. The other thing that I've really noticed in mail is that data detectors have gotten significantly better in El Capitan. They were okay before, but I found that, you know, they were limited. They were limited to really adding, adding things in, in calendar. So for appointments and things that they found and adding things to address book. But now you can do a lot more with data detectors. Like for example, you've got flight information, but I've also found that the data detectors have become much more accurate. Yeah, just better all the way around. Yeah, and I use those all the time. Um, you know, when I get a new email from somebody and it has their signature below with all of their contact information, I grab it with a data detector and, and add them to my address book. Here's something I would like that to get better at is usually like when that happens, a lot of times it's work-related and I have different um, address books for different parts of my life. Yes. And like if I get one from somebody in the developer community, I'll save it to my um address book very easily with a data detector but then to get that person into the um my apple kind of notebook and contacts i have to go and open contacts search the person drag it over they should have a field that lets you put it into an address book a specific address book right there that would um, be nice oh and if you could assign a specific account to it as well if you've got multiple accounts on your mac boom there's yeah. a suggestion apple um well submit a ticket but the but the other thing they did with data detectors is they it used to be that you had to kind of it was like this game of cat and mouse where you had to find the data detector you know apple would know the data detector was there but it wouldn't really show it to you until you got your mouse somewhere near it and you saw the little telltale down facing arrow now it's it's big and bold there's a header right across the message header it shows you the data detector it's against a contrasting color and uh, it's very easy to see mail messages that it has detected something that thinks you may want in it. And um, that has made me more, it's made me use it more, even more often, because sometimes I'd forget to do it. And now I see that thing there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't have that person in my contact book. I'll, I'll go ahead and take care of that right now. Um, the other thing that we got is, again, we got better search in mail. So just like you got this natural language search really throughout all of the OS, they've also brought this to mail as well. So I can search for mail that I've ignored from David Sparks and it will show me. Is there a lot of that? They're really, you know, there's not much. I'm usually pretty good about getting back to you. How about mail that I ignored from David Sparks and includes the word Star Trek? Mm, there'd be a lot more of that. Um, the... Um, I think one thing about this that you're seeing a theme here, data detectors, better search, um, better spotlight. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's a movement afoot at Apple to make the computer a little bit smarter and try and do things for you. We talked about this at greater length in the iOS 9 show, you know, the assistant. What, what was the, the term of art they're using for that? The Did Your digital assistant, Siri? I forget. Well, they're, they're basically they're trying to have the computer do more planning for you, kind of the Google wheelhouse stuff. And they're, but they're trying to build it into the system. And it's clear that this stuff is migrating through the whole company. Um, one thing about mail, I always like to tell people when we have a new operating system, mail is, is something that always has a little bit of lag time for third-party plugins. And a lot of people rely on third-party plugins to make mail dance the way they want it to. Um, I'm a big user of mail tags and mail act on. At InDev, they have um, they've been supporting even the betas back to I think beta three, mm -hmm. and they've they've got active versions, so you're going to be fine if you up, 
upgrade on day one. I'm using Meltags in El Capitan right now all the time. Um, but there are some smaller companies out there. You know, a lot of these are just kind of side projects for people and they're not going to be, you know, devoting their full time to making sure that they've got their, their plugin support for day one. So this is one of those things you want to, if you're, if you're reliant on a mail plugin, make sure you check that it supports El Capitan before you do it because they will break. I, I will say it seems like developing mail plugins is particularly tricky, or I guess it requires a specific type of skill because mail plugins are something that, that break or require attention with every OS release and sometimes even the point one releases. Yeah, so often the point one they, releases. They yes. they tend to be things that developers really need to stay on top of. And unfortunately I've had a couple of mail plugins that I've bought from individual developers over the years that have that have died because either they just didn't have the time or or whatever to to keep up with it. Yeah, overall, though, I'm I'm uh, happy with the new changes to Mail. I think it's it's a better application. Yeah, a search. In, in addition to having new search criteria, search feels faster to me. But um, I guess to each his own on that. That's kind of hard to quantify. Yeah. Now, Safari also got some improvements as well. One of the one of the big ones is that we now have this ability to pin sites on the top, and I, I, this is something I have to kind of keep reminding myself is there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm have not, you tried it? Yeah, I've I've tried it, but I'm not I'm not real sure kind of when I'm going to use a pin site versus a a permanent bookmark and and things like that. Yeah, so the the way you do it, if you're on a website and you go up to window, um, you can in Safari you just click on pin tab, and then it creates a, a very small um pin on the left side of your um your 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 window bar. And I have been using it consistently for four tabs. I have one for Mac Sparky as it's published to the world. I have one for my Squarespace site, you know, the Mac Sparky Squarespace backend. I've got one for, for a, a legal application. It's like a web service I used to run the law practice. And I've got one for Google Docs, um, which so, is so where... So you're basically using them as bookmarks? Well, sort of, yeah. But the, the, it's a little different because they're always there. You just click on them and they're always updating in the background. They're always current. And that's an advantage over bookmarks because bookmarks are going to go loaded up. So, and those are four tabs that I'm in every day for various projects and, you know, commitments. So if you've got some tabs, like if you've got a work tab or if you've got three or four tabs that you work on, if you've got a personal blog, some things like that, I would recommend pinning those. And, um, and then they're always there. And the other tabs you've got available are fine. Now, one thing to remind yourself of is those pins are not going to keep Safari open if you close all your other tabs. I've done that sometimes. Like I've got a, a right. pending Squarespace post and I go ahead and close all the other tabs that are regular tabs. All of a sudden Safari just shuts down. I'm like, whoops, I didn't mean to do that. Um, so it's, um, you got to play with it a little bit, but, uh, but I like it. So, so are you using it at all? Yeah, no, I've used it before and I've, I've got a couple of pins up there for, for certain things. Like I, like you, I have one to my Squarespace site. Um, and I've I've got one to a couple of other sites that I that I check pretty regularly, but I don't really know kind of what the to me just having a bookmark in the bookmarks bar isn't that big of a deal either. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, it's two different ways to do this, and um, and then also in Safari we got the ability to mute audio. So if you've got a tab, have you ever been like you've got like let's say you have ten tabs open in Safari, and suddenly music starts <coughs> coming out of your computer, and you don't know where it's coming from. Um, and so you start madly, you know, 
tabbing on all the tabs, you know, going through trying to find it. But let's say it's an advertisement that's down below the screen. You don't even, you still can't find it. It just makes you crazy. Now Safari does this great thing. Whichever one is playing music just has a little speaker icon in the tab and you can go tap on it and it, it turns that audio off. It's that, that is a golden feature to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. I didn't know I needed it, but now that I have it, I can't oh, imagine, I can't imagine. Living without it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I just mute the, mute the entire computer when that starts to happen, but that's not an issue anymore. What about this uh, new thing with the top hit? Have you played with that? Well, so what, what that is basically is that um, if you're doing a, a search, Safari will, will preload the, the top hit in the search field. So it, it, the idea is that it makes your searching faster. So here we are in 2015. We've had several updates to Safari over the last couple of years. Are you still primarily a Chrome user? Oh, no. I've been a Safari user for a long time. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, when Safari really started syncing with iOS, especially when we got Cloud Sync, is when I switched back full-time to Safari. Yeah, just so much easier um, for that reason. If you're using the whole Apple ecosystem to use their browser as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, my wife, she likes to use both of them at the same time with at least 40 tabs open in each. Oh, that's oh, that's her goal. No, I, I have a couple of tabs open. I don't use a ton of tabs. <laughs> she, so. she, make, she makes me crazy with that. Yeah. She doesn't know why it makes me so crazy, but it does. Well, I know we need to talk about notes and then a little bit about performance. I don't have a lot to say about notes, but I suspect you do. So should we take a quick break before we go there? Yeah. And we started the discussion on notes, but I got a bunch of feedback and it fits into El Capitan too. So let's talk about that. But, but first let's do talk about, and in fact, we've already mentioned this sponsor once in the show and that's our friends over at Squarespace. Squarespace is for where both Katie and I keep our personal blogs. I keep Max Barkey there. Katie's at um, katiefloyd.me and, and Squarespace. Oh, oh, I actually got katiefloyd.com recently. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Okay. katiefloyd.com. She bought the whole thing. Got got it away from the guinea pig girl. Good for you. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Squarespace is the easiest way to create beautiful websites or a blog or an online store for you and your ideas. I have a friend that got into the jewelry business recently, and um, his wife uh, makes gorgeous jewelry. They wanted to start selling it online, and he knows I'm a nerd. So he said, I've got these three estimates, and I want you to help me pick a guy to build my website. And not a single one of them. I mean, the cheapest one was $4,000. And... Um, I said, well, let's just come over to my house for the weekend. Let's let's set up a Squarespace site because it's got commerce built right in. We did. We set it up. It looks great. They've been selling stuff now for several months. They're super happy and they can't believe they say four thousand dollars, but they haven't bought me dinner yet. So go figure that one out. Wow. Anyway, it's simple, powerful and beautiful. Squarespace is always there for you when you need them. They offer 24 seven support via live chat and email the plans start at just eight dollars a month and you get a free domain if you buy it for the year in fact i did that with my friend we bought a whole year's worth and he got his domain thrown in the package there so every site on squarespace is automatically going to be responsive so if your readers are looking from an iphone or an ipad or any device it's going to look gorgeous they have commerce it comes with a free online store as you get bigger plans they get even more powerful and they've got new technologies like cover pages is a big thing on the web now well you can put that on your squarespace site so to get started with a free trial no credit card required and start building your website today go over to squarespace.com and use the offer code mpu to get 10 percent off and show your support for the mac power users 
So thanks Squarespace for your continued support of Mac Power users. Squarespace can help you build a beautiful website. Go check it out now. All right, so let's talk about this this Notes app. I I I have tried it and I've Wow, this Notes app. I, I already feel notes judgment. <laughs> it's fine, whatever. No, I I understand why a lot of people will like it, and I'm going to encourage a lot of people in my my life to use it uh, because it is so much better. It is such an upgrade from the previous Notes app. The previous Notes app was totally useless. Um, this yeah. one's actually it was almost functional. like a non-app. Yeah, I mean, it was basically Notepad for, um, yeah. and by Notepad I mean like iOS or not iOS, like Mac OS Seven Notepad. Yeah. Except it syncs across devices. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I guess I was, I was speaking about it positively when we did the iOS nine show and now that, um, El Cap is out now you can truly use it everywhere, which is, I guess what everybody is waiting for, because you're going to have the new iCloud sync and you type on your Mac or your iPhone or your iPad and the things just sync across. Um, I got feedback and questions from people. Um, one of the things I said was there's no tag in it and several people wrote in and said, well, how are you using it? Um, I'm using folders, which I understand are not as diverse as tags. You know, a folder is just one dimension of categorizing, but it works for me. Like I'll have, I have a folder for legal forms and I have a folder for um, Max Sparky articles I'm writing and, and just, you know, like that. And it's working fine that way. Um, uh, some people wrote in saying, well, you say it's got rich text, but how are you using it? I'm actually using rich text all the way I can as I'm testing this out. And I haven't, committed yet that I'm going to stick with notes, but I, I've been using it as we've been going through this beta process. But something I would say, if you're going to use rich text is learn the keyboard shortcuts because the keyboard shortcuts make all the difference. Um, when you're going through a uh, shift command is the magic combination. Hold in the shift and command key. If you hit a T, it turns it into a title. H turns into a heading. B, a body. And L turns it into a checklist. So take your time with that. Um, Sync speed, people have asked me, what's the sync speed? It's, you know, it depends on your internet connection. It's not bad. Um, I was recently um, at a place where I was on 4G and I'm trying to get it to sync because I just reset my phone and it took a while to get notes down, but that's the only time I've ever noticed a problem with it. And that was because I was in bad internet connection and the note I wanted had about seven pictures in it. Um, problems with it is uh, the biggest one, I think, is the font size. It's, it's a set font size for body text that you can't adjust and it's pretty small. So if, you know, I would prefer it to be up a couple points and there's no way to change it. Um, uh, the sorting, you can't sort it by name. You can only sort your notes by a date last modified, which I thought would be a deal breaker for me, but I've just got used to typing option command F, which gets me into the little, you know, finder window inside the app. And I search that way and it, it works fine. Uh, like Katie was saying, this is not the end all be all for everybody, but it is notable in the fact that Apple has put significant resources into a notes app. And um, for a lot of people, it'll be just fine. I, I think it's a huge improvement. I'm a little nervous about you putting hundreds of notes in the note app though. I will tell oh, I, you I'm up to 300 now. <laughs> no problems. No problems. Yeah. I'm, I'm copying. In fact, I'm going to do a post on this. I've, I've got a script, an Apple script that someone sent me that allows you to export them all out. And there's some things you can do. Uh, the big decision for me is I like the tech stuff. You know, it works fast. It syncs fast. I've talked about it for years. Um, the advantage of notes is it allows you to put the lists and the numbers in a little bit of formatting. And I've got to decide which one is more important to me. And I haven't yet. But 
I thought I'd at least use it through the beta to see what I thought. I, I thought I was going to hate it, to tell you the truth. Right. I'm still using Evernote for almost all of my note stuff. I'm basically using notes as just a quick scratch pad where I'm storing a couple of bits of information that I need to quickly sync back and forth across my devices. Um, I, I, know, I will admit that Evernote really needs to up their game, but I don't know if you saw this, David. They actually uh, put out a blog post. My guess is in response to Apple Notes getting a lot better. I think they're kind of seeing the writing on the wall that maybe this is coming after them a little bit. Um, and they, you know, the, the post is, a, it's, it kind of has a lot of words, but doesn't say a whole lot, but it basically kind of says, yeah, we, we get it. And we get that the writing in Evernote is not what it should be. Um, so they've, they said that they're releasing a beta for Mac and windows, but one of the little morsels that they did put in this blog post is they, number one, they seem to acknowledge that there's some issues. Uh, and number two, that they say that markdown support is coming. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I'll put, a, well, I'll put a link to that in the site. The plot thickens. <laughs> yeah, so you could join the beta program if you want, but it sounds like it's still early days, but it, at least they, they seem to have gotten message and they're working on it. Well, you know, Evernote really never worked for me because of a variety of problems that have been well cataloged in the Mac Power Users you know, recordings. Yeah. But but the um, but Notes is kind of like halfway between Evernote and a, a simple text you know, system. I mean, because I can drop pictures. I, I've had this big project going. As soon as I got healthy, I started working on the backyard. And I've been collecting pictures and, you know, getting links to websites and, you know, web just all sorts of little things that wouldn't work for me in my traditional tech system. But it's been really handy as I've been bouncing around trying to get some questions answered. So I, I don't know where I'm at on it yet. But like I said, with the iOS 9 show, and I will put an exclamation point on it here. Notes is for real. Give it a try and see what you think. Yeah. Um, and then the other big feature, or are, you, are you done about notes? I don't want to cut you yeah, short. Yeah, I think, I think I've said enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I would like to hear from people on the feedback show. Please let us know what you think. Yeah, and I do want to mention to people, you know, we are recording this show for the week that Mavericks releases. Um, and according to the super secret spy snapshot that we saw uh, at the Apple event, uh, that's going to be, we are told, on September 30th. Now, obviously, Apple hasn't publicly announced that date, so Apple's not committed to that date, but we believe that it will be released on September 30th. Um, keep in mind that if you're listening to the show before September 30th or for if something should happen to change Apple's plans, you're not going to get the full benefits of Notes um, unless you're running it both on iOS 9 and on Maverick. So there's there's that little bit of that lag, kind of like we had with iCloud a couple of years ago, and we've, we've had with other apps before, where in, unless you've got both operating systems up and running, you're, you're going to see a little bit of a lag in the functionality. Yeah. So we'll now, um, per performance, um, LCAP got some nice performance improvements, which has happened consistently with these... Um, kind of half updates where they, they able to tune the machine a little bit. Apple says it's a 1.4 time increase in launching. Um, I, I haven't run any tests. I didn't run any tests before I installed it. I didn't run any tests after I installed it. I can tell you that rebooting my computer is pretty snappy. Does it feel, but it's always been snappy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it never really snappier? been a problem. <laughs> I don't know. Um, they say it's a two time increase in app switching. Um, now, this is where I noticed a difference, and it wasn't on my super powerful iMac, but on my, um, my, my MacBook, you know, which doesn't have the most powerful processor in the world in it. 
Yeah. Now, one of the big things, though, is that mail is now optimized. Ma- mail has, I mean, it's always worked for me, but it's its never been the most elegant solution. You know, for example, if you had to reconnect accounts, it would, it would download and download and download and download. And mail now has prioritized new messages. So if you haven't synced up to the server in a while, you're going to get what's new in your inbox first, and then it's going to download the backlog later. Um, so that's one of the areas where I think we've seen a big improvement is they've, they're now, although it's still doing a lot of stuff in the background, it's it's now optimizing what it's, or prioritizing, I should say, what it's downloading. So it's going to feel to you like mail is a lot snappier. But you know, that's one, of, that's another one of those things where it's hard for me to like praise that. It's like, how come it hasn't always been that way? Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't, if you're setting this up from the beginning, wouldn't you always want to say, show me the most recent mail first? Um but either way, and Metal, which was last year the big deal on iOS 8, has come to the Mac. And Metal is a, a you know, I, I'm not even qualified to explain what it is, but it's a, basically it's an improved graphics interface. So if you're making games that use that push a lot of pixels, you get closer to the Metal. You know, it, it's a much faster interface for game designs. Um, now, my private theory on that is that it's it's more of a tool for my low-end MacBook than it is for the high-end you know, Mac Pro. Well, I think it's a tool for everything, but it's, it's something you're certainly going to notice more on your MacBook. Yeah, I, I, I think Apple making Macs that are less powerful than traditional, you know, traditionally you would expect with new Macs, is not over. I think they're going to continue to do that and the chase for super long battery life, super light, and all those things. So they're trying to, to build things into the system that make that better. So let's talk a little bit, you know, with Maverick supposedly coming out this week that the show was released, you know, who should upgrade to, I'm sorry, did I just say Mavericks? I meant El Capitan. Uh, with El Capitan coming out this week, who should upgrade and and when should they do that upgrade? Because you and I have already been running the betas to the extent that we're not running the betas. We're probably going to upgrade our other machines immediately on day one. But is that necessarily the best advice? Yeah. Um, so let's um, let's break it down a little bit. If you're, um, you know, I guess the first exception would be somebody that's using their Mac to pay for their bills and they use any kind of specific software that they're not sure of, you know, whether or not it supports the new operating system. Or, or hardware too, software yeah. or hardware. Yeah. Like musicians are a good one. Our friend Johnny Niddle that does uh, production music for television shows and commercials and things like that. And he's got a bunch of hardware and software that is very specific that he needs to work to make his living. And, you know, those, those plugin developers traditionally don't have updates out on day one. In fact, I think last time I talked to Johnny, I think he was running like a Mavericks machine for his production you right. know, because he's just got to wait. So people like that are a no brainer. They should wait. We um, also had a if, Mac power user listener write in saying that they used a special type of sewing machine for an embroidery business that is run off of their Macs. And they said they, they never update on time. Yeah. I mean, with the, with that type of stuff, once you've got it working, you just almost unplug it from the internet and just <laughs> run that app. Um, but the, um, but you know, that's not, the usual Mac power users listener. Most of our, our listeners are people who want to see the new thing as soon as possible. Um, you know, so, so make a list of what's on your Mac that you want to make sure works. And there's always a new web. Every time this comes out, I'm sure somebody already has the dom- domain, you know, what works in El Capitan or .com or something. Well, well, roaring apps all always does a, a table. Yeah. That's and pretty so good. Go, I'll put a link to that. Yeah. Go check out your apps, check out your plugins, like on mail plugins. 
And, um, you know, and in fact, we'll talk a little bit more. We have more advice about that. We should probably take a break and then kind of go over this in detail. Yeah, we, we can do that. But I, th- I think our advice is just proceed with caution. You yeah, know, you but, don't, you don't have to upgrade on day one. Yeah. And if you're smart, you know, uh, some people say, wait till the point one update. I could never wait that long. Uh, that's just me, but the, um, but you could do that. Um, you could say, well, I'm not going to wait for the point one update, but I'll wait a week just to make sure nothing, you know, is catching on fire across the internet before I do it to my own computer, which would be really smart. Um, none of that ever works for me. I always upgrade. In fact, I upgraded this one, my laptop way early in the beta, way earlier than mm-hmm. I would even admit to Katie. <laughs> he's yeah he says oh by the way we were recording that podcast on whole capital i was like what actually if you want the full truth um remember when we were at wwdc oh dear and, and we decided to record a show from my hotel room and i Are had you... a little two by four and my, yeah. my laptop hanging that was on beta one of el cap oh my goodness <laughs> kobayashi maru things i don't need to know all right um so, so um so let's talk about what we do for the upgrade. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about a sponsor. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, our last sponsor for this episode. And that is our pals over at the Omni Group. And you know what? If you're worried about the Omni Group apps, you probably don't have to be because they are always ready. But specifically, I want to talk about um, how they're getting ready for iOS 9 and particularly my beloved Omni Focus. So the Omni Group just released a slew of iOS updates for their various apps to get them all updated and optimized for iOS 9. So you're going to see their various apps now support immediately, day one on iOS 9, split screen and slide overview. So now it's never been easier to get stuff in and out of the various OmniFocus apps. With split screen and slide overview, you can quickly add items to your inbox in OmniFocus while you're browsing the web or doing anything. Um, or you can start working on an outline in Omni Outliner while you've got the reference material open, um, or you can open a document with OmniGraffle again and start working on it right there, you know, while you're looking at the source material on your iPad. It's just kind of amazing at how much more productive you can be when you're using these apps side by side, particularly with each other, um, because they're just that cool. Um, and you can also look inside of all of your OmniFocus apps with Spotlight Search. So if you're looking for your OmniFocus tasks or if you're looking for something that you wrote up in an Omni Outliner file, um, you can access all of that information now through Spotlight on iOS because they've built in the necessary hooks to the API that you can now see all of that information on Spotlight. But perhaps, David, the thing that I am most excited about that we just got access to um, is the new native OmniFocus app for watchOS 2. Um, Now, although it's installed through the iPhone app, you no longer need to be connected to your iPhone to get uh, to work on your uh, OmniFocus app on your watch. Uh, it is a much smoother process. It was certainly no fault of OmniFocus's before because we know the developers were somewhat limited in what they could do. It is a lot faster. It is so much more responsive. And I love, 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 you know, the first thing that I added, the first complication that I added to my Apple watch face was the OmniFocus complication. So I'm, I'm looking right here. And in the upper left of my Apple Watch, at a glance, I can see that I still have two tasks left that I have to complete before I go to bed today uh, in order to get that little check mark to say that I'm, I am done for the day. So you can add a new complication, um, and then if you touch the complication, it will take you right into the OmniFocus app, which is now optimized. You can see what's due, what's overdue, what's due soon, what's deferred, what's flagged, um, and you can even tweak that inbox or that OmniFocus view if you like. So Omni Group is on it. They are ready. 
ready for iOS 9. I mean, they have just been on top of it and they, things just keep getting better and better. So if you want to find out more information about all the various OmniFocus apps, or Omni, I'm sorry, OmniGroup apps, including the new OmniFocus, uh, go check them out over at OmniGroup.com. And thanks to Omni for their support of Mac Power users. Now, as we record the show, the gold master for El Capitan is not out yet. So I, I hesitate to say this, but I will say that throughout the beta process, upgrades have been pretty easy for El Capitan. It hasn't been, there haven't been too many problems. Um, uh, and I know if you look, search the internet, there are people that did, ha- you know, every time you have a beta software, there are people with problems. But in general, this one feels like it's been pretty smooth because it's not been a massive overhaul. Right. So yeah. what's the default advice if you want to do the upgrade? Well, you know, we always have people who ask us, how do I do one of these major operating system upgrades? And and you and I tend to have two, two ways that you can do this. Our default advice for a while now has been just back up your machine and click the upgrade button. You know, when it comes to, once you've made sure that your apps are compatible and done everything that we've talked about, make sure that you have a good backup, backup of your machine and then click update and, you know, go get a cookie. The cookie yeah. part's particularly important. Yeah. It's like, and that's what I've done with um, like my wife and my children. Their computers don't get abused the way mine do. You know, I'm always downloading beta software and doing nutty things on it. So um, it seems to me about every three years, I end up doing a clean install on my Mac. But for my wife and kids' computers, I don't remember the last time I, if I've ever done a clean install for them. So I think for most people that aren't, aren't stressing their computer too much, just do the regular update and then you're fine. Um, and and the LCAP installer will walk you through the whole process. It takes about, I guess, depending on your computer. But for me, it was taking about an, an a 30 minutes to about an hour to get it done once yeah. I had everything downloaded. Yeah. And some of that's going to be, da- you know, your download time is going to be the X factor because it can, it's, it's a pretty large file as well. Yeah. Um, however, you know, the, we've got Mac power, power users listening to our show and occasionally you still do need to do a clean install and occasionally you get benefits from a clean install, which is now easier than it's ever been. Right. I mean, we, we've done shows on this in the past, so you could probably go search the archive, but a, a short version of the story is, um, that in fact, let's just kind of go through the steps, you know, well, why would you want to do one? Um, if, if you're like me and you've been running a lot of beta software, if you just have a lot of cruft accumulate on your computer, maybe it's not uh, quite running as well as you would like it to. And you're not quite sure why you've done general troubleshooting, but problems don't quite seem to be solved. Or if your hard drive seems like it's full and you're not even sure why, because you've just been accumulating so much data and maybe you've got support files or caches or just think so much stuff accumulated on your computer. Um, maybe it's time to, to go look at a clean install there. Or maybe you're just a PC holdover and you just can't get over the fact that <laughs> like you that. you have to do a clean install every time you update your operating system. Yeah, most of my friends who are in PCs feel like every six months they need to nuke their hard drive and start over again. And that's not necessary on a Mac, but you know, once in a while it doesn't hurt either. Yeah, but you can do it. You can do it. And um, so we want to run through the process of, of how you do that. Yeah, I mean, first thing you do, just like the other, if you're doing the default, is just do a backup and... Um, um, I would do a, a, I would mirror the drive, uh, carbon copy cloner and super duper are the weapons of choice for that. Yeah. Um, I think both of them have a free version that'll do a simple backup. I know, super I know Duper's, super duper does. I don't know if carbon yeah. copy cloner does, but that's yeah. going to be a full long backup. And I actually recommend going one step further on this. I, 
I suggest that you have a what I call an on the shelf backup. Um, when you're doing a major when you're doing one of these Mac from scratch backups, or when you're doing a, a major OS change, which I don't know that I would call El Cap a, a major upgrade, but when you're doing one of these. I like to say, have an, what I call an on-the-shelf backup, which is a clone backup in addition to all of the normal backups that you have. So it's just an extra backup in addition to whatever your regular backup process is that you can stick in a drawer or put on a shelf and ignore for several weeks or a month because when you inevitably find something, and you will, that, that you forgot to transfer your Hazel rules or you forgot your Apple scripts or whatever it is, that when your other backups have long since been written over, you know that you can go back to that shelf backup and get whatever you've forgotten. Yeah, and that's particularly a problem for automation nerds because you've got all these little tweaks you've built in your computer to do things for you, and some of them you don't realize you're you're missing until two or three months down the road. Right. And sometimes you can rebuild it, but it'd be easier just to go grab them off the, the clone drive. Yeah. Um, the other thing you obviously want to do is you want to gather all your information that's, you know, it's just going to make the process a lot easier and a lot faster. Um, David, I, I know that, um, you know, you used to create what you'd call a magic install disk. Sometimes I'll pre-download installers. I, I happen to use my Drobo for this. I have a folder of installers on my Drobo where I keep yeah. kind of the latest versions of some of these installers. Or if I had, if I had physical CDs of installers, one of the first things that I'll do when I actually get CD box software, which is very rare now, or if I've downloaded a big installer off the internet, is I'll save that DMG off to a, a folder on my Drobo. Um, so that's a that's one thing is you want to make sure you've got those. But the other thing is you want to make sure that you've got your serial numbers and all of your registration information together. Uh, I, I use one password for that because it it makes it so easy. But just make sure you've got that in a place where you can get it. Yeah, and if you've got like a big iCloud or a Dropbox storage, I mean, there's a lot of places you could put those installers. And like Katie was saying, there there aren't many applications these days that that need it. Like, um, I just had to rebuild my Mac, and like I had Dragon Dictate, and I mean, I think it was in total like four or five applications that I needed to install that way. And everything else, I would either download off the web, like the Omni stuff, or I would do it through the App Store. Yeah, I think mine big ones, I know you don't have this, but I still have the the Office installer, my ScanSnaps installers, because you can get some of that stuff off the web, but like yeah. some of the stuff is is proprietary installers that comes yeah, with Scan it. Yeah, ScanSnap was one of the ones I did that way. Yeah, yes. so there, there are a few of them. Um, but, you know, the Mac App Store makes this a lot easier now, too, because you just go down yeah. the Mac App Store into your purchase history and start download, 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 download. And just like iCloud and Dropbox storage make getting your data back on your computer super easy, because a lot of it's going to be on this cloud storage. All you do is connect it to the account and go to bed and you wake up the next day and a lot of your data is populated. Yeah, or if you're on a fast, and, and the other thing is you probably want to be on a pretty high speed internet connection when you do this. Number one, just yeah. downloading the OS 10 installer, um, but also just downloading all of these other installers you're going to need. Yeah, if you, and if you've got like spotty Wi-Fi, get, get the Cat5 out and just plug in for the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, this used to be such a big deal. I remember, I mean, when we remember, first started recording yeah. this show, it was like, a. I remember we I had talked to do about setting I, aside a weekend for it. Yeah. And, and I remember like, I vividly remember like putting a new iMac on the kitchen table for a weekend and like watching baseball and doing stuff and going over and putting discs in. And, and now, if you haven't done it for a while, you'll be surprised how much easier it is now. Yeah. Now it's a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, you do want to take special note of some settings that might be buried in your library folder. And we talked a little bit about some of those, but the ones that I miss all the time um, are Hazel rules and uh, Apple scripts. 
Yeah. Automation nerds. Yeah. And you, you have a special trick for that, don't you? Yeah. So I, I have a folder on Dropbox for automation stuff and I save, I export my Hazel rules to it routinely. Cause like one of the problems I have is I'm running two Macs and I do like to keep current Hazel rules on both machines so they can do their work locally. And, um, and so I just always save it to that, that Dropbox folder. And then I reinstall on whichever machine they're on. Yeah. Same thing. Anytime I come across a good script or a good, you know, anything I want to use for automation, I always save a copy out to that Dropbox folder. So if things go, you know, give me trouble, I can always at least go back and find that, and, you know, get started again. Strangely, I haven't automated that process though. I guess I should do that. I bet keyboard maestro could probably do that for me. Probably. Um, the other thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to want to, um, deauthorize any uh, software that you may only have a, a limited use license to. Um, you know, you obviously want to deauthorize your iTunes account. If you have authorized Audible, you're going to want to deauthorize that. Um, I don't know, Dave. Is this required on the Office Suite? Do you need to deauthorize um, that if you've got Office three sixty five? No, you can go. You can go on the web and deauthorize computers after the fact. Like okay. if you log into your Office three sixty five account, um, you can go and. Like we, I had a computer that got passed down in the family and when I got my new MacBook and that was still on my account for a while until I realized it. And then I went and deauthorized it. Um, you know, and, and theoretically you should not have to deauthorize your iTunes and audible and all this stuff when you're doing a nuke and pave, because the, um, the software usually looks at the logic board to identify the computer, not any software hooks, but you know, there's always a, but uh, it wouldn't hurt to deauthorize it anyway, because if it doesn't it, for some reason and you're out of computers, it's just going to cause you hours and hours of headache. Where it, you and it just takes look. just a minute to deauthorize and reauthorize it. Why not? It, exactly. Now, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but I believe before you actually nuke your computer, you are going to need to go ahead and download El Capitan so that it's authorized in your iTunes account. Yes. And, and the way you nuke your computer, which we haven't mentioned is when you get the El Capitan installer started, and this is after you've done all the backups and everything else we've already talked about, um, there are a few applications you can run. Like I believe it's got some stripped down version of Safari to get like technical support. And it's got a um, like a network monitor to make sure you can get connected to your Wi-Fi. And it also has disk utility. And you can go into disk utility because it's running off a partition of your drive at that point. It's not running off the main drive. And you can select the Macintosh HD and press the erase button and just make sure you've got it backed up before you do that. And when you're done, your, your drive is going to be empty and then it can install a clean install. Yeah. If you just press the install button, it's not going to wipe your hard drive out and install the operating system. You have to specifically go into the disk utility app and do that. I mean, Apple didn't want anyone to accidentally wipe out their drive. Right. Now, my personal preference is I prefer to create, because I just like having one anyway, and it seems like might as well go ahead and do this now. I personally prefer to create a USB flash installer of whatever the latest operating system is. So this may be something that I update a couple of times throughout the year. Uh, in fact, I keep it on a partition on my keychain because, you know, if anybody ever needs an emergency reinstall of their operating system, I'm your person. I've got it on my keychain. I love that about you. I could be like in Chuck E. Cheese and say, I need to reinstall my operating system. And Katie would say, here you go. I got it for you. I got it for you. I got this. So I've, I've put, um, I've put a link in the show notes to how you create a flash drive or a, a flash installer, um, of, of whatever the latest operating system is in this case, El Capitan. Um, and that's my preference is I install it and then I go ahead and I immediately create this, this flash drive for it. 
And then what I do is then I boot into the recovery partition and I go through David's part is I, I erase the hard drive. I go ahead and I check it with disk utility just to make sure that there's nothing going on and, and that all those issues are good. Um, and then I reinstall it off of that flash drive so that it's, it's going to be really fast installing off that flash drive because you don't have to worry about then re-downloading and all that other stuff. Yeah. I understand. I, I, I do that every two or three operating systems. I make it, but I never end up using it. Oh, I use Often. it all. I use it all the time because I'm kind of tech support for my family and friends. Yeah. So anytime somebody has an issue where we put it, well, I use it all the time when I put SSDs in people's computers. Yeah. Is I just I just stick my flash drive in and you know boom we're up and running. Well, either way, you know, it's, it's funny that that used to be a full show for us to explain how to do that, but things have gotten so much easier now that it's, that it's a portion of a show. Did it in 10 minutes. And, and we didn't really miss much. You know, it's anyway, that's all great. Hey, so El Capitan is a nice move forward. I think, um, uh, I, I'm in favor of it. You know, if you, if, unless you've got some reason not to install it, I'd say go for it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about going to wrap us up for uh, today and have fun playing with El Capitan this week. I, I think you'll enjoy it should you decide to go ahead and, and upgrade. And, and keep in mind, if, if you want to wait a couple of days and make sure the kinks are out of the system and there's there's no major problems, or if you use your Mac for, for business or for making money, you, you may want to wait and definitely check out and, and make sure that all of your devices are compatible. But I've been, I've been pretty happy with El Cap. Yeah, me too. So... Um, Go check it out. If you've got feedback or something we missed or some comment that you want to share, uh, send it in. Uh, send us a voice memo. Send us an email. Whatever you want. Get it to us, and we'll uh, look at it for the live show. Yeah, you can send um, those to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. Yeah, and, and I you want know, to thank- we haven't given our websites in a while, David. Yeah, you know, your website is over at MaxSparky.com. And, and you are at katiefloyd.com. Dot com now. Yeah. And I've been trying to keep that updated more now. now yeah, that's that I, good stuff. Now that I've, I've got some, uh, a little bit more free time with the new job, I've, I've been definitely updating that site more. So Excellent. Well, thanks to our sponsors this week, Pixelmator, Automatic, Squarespace, and Omni. And we will see you all next time.